The Lord be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to come together as a body and just be in your presence and sit and hear your word. I, I just ask you that you give us ears to hear what you're speaking to each of us individually and, and as a body this morning, Lord, that we would hear and feel your spirit nudging us and uh, that you would touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be preaching out of the, the scripture passage from First Peter today, and so if you'll bear with me, I'm going to reread the passage to you guys. It starts in verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The good news this morning is that God chose you, not as hired hands, but as sons and daughters. He's here with us today to work in us and with us, not so that we will work for him. So he's here with us this morning to work in you and with you, not so that you will work for him. Throughout Eastertide, we've been talking about, we've been analyzing scripture and preaching scripture from 1 Peter, but we've been kind of taking a look at what it means to live a resurrection life. Easter, we're celebrating it for the Easter season instead of just one day. And so as we've been going through that, we've been exploring what it means to live a resurrection life. And I think that this, this scripture for me, as I wrestled with it and meditated on, on it this week, it really spoke to me in a, a pretty direct way. Um, kind of, un, un, I guess it revealed and unveiled a couple of things in my own heart. But something that it brought to light for me is that sometimes it's easier to believe that the, God, the reason God chose us is so that we'll work for him. He didn't, to me, it almost doesn't make sense sometimes to consider that God chose me to be his son. It makes sense that maybe he chose me so that I can do something for him eventually. Like in my mind, I can connect those dots for some reason a lot easier. We have a, a tendency as a result of believing that, to think that we can, we can kind of co-opt our shame. And we can, even though we know shame is a bad thing, we think that we can kind of wrestle it here and manage it in a way that it does good work for us, right? So just for some context, this passage of Scripture, we're talking about God choosing us and building us into his temple. But it's sandwiched right in between two different holiness passages. And so I'll actually just read verse 1 as an example. But verse 1, verse 1 is kind of, 
par for the course of the two passages right before and right after the passage that we're looking at this morning. And it says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Which is a pretty long list. I mean, that's just one verse of two different passages. That's a long list of things. You know, uh, it's a long list of ways that we should be modifying our behavior, right? But it's almost impossible or it is impossible for us to change the way we behave just by reading a list, going through a checklist and saying like, okay, I'm going to change. I'm done with this. So I think it's easy for us as Christians, or it's easy for me at least, to look at these lists and kind of feel a sense of shame and think that, hey, I know that I'm not supposed to like, you know, just soak this shame in all the time. I know that we're not called into Christianity as followers of Christ so that we can just sit in, in our shame. But at the same time, I feel like I can actually control my shame and use it to motivate myself to be a better Christian, to live into this resurrection life. Shame is a motivator. Uh, for me, it comes up in a lot of different ways, kind of a funny way for you guys. So Mallory and I have been going back and forth for a while about whether or not we could go on family vacation with my family at the end of the month and uh, whether I could take the time off of work and what that would look like. And so on Tuesday, we made the decision. We're like, all right, we're just going to go. We'll be there the whole trip. You know, we're going to go down and spend some time on the beach. And so starting Wednesday, I, was, uh, I got, got out the insanity tapes, started working out. You know, the last couple of months, I've been pretty busy. Um, just didn't have time to make it happen. But uh, the thought of being in a swimsuit on the beach, this shame, this like little seed of shame in my heart, I was like, oh man, I can make some time for insanity. Um, if you're not familiar with insanity, maybe you know P90X, I don't know. Yeah, it's by actually, I think the company that does it is called Beachbody, so it's pretty fitting actually. Um, kind of a humorous, uh, another kind of humorous example, but uh, also one that really spoke to me this week as I was thinking about how we use shame is a couple of weeks ago, my daughter, Cameron, she, she turned two. And so the week leading up to her birthday, we were like, well, she's almost two. She's really, really smart. And we've always kind of heard all these stories from people like, yeah, like our, our kid is very smart. They were potty trained right around the age of two. And so in our head, we were like, well, this is go time. I mean, Cameron's kind of, she knows what the potty is and she talks about it sometimes. So this is like our window, right? So we need to dive in. And a lot of people had given us the advice of, like, just immerse yourself in it for however long it takes. So it, whether it's a day or a whole week, like, just nonstop potty train, no matter what happens, then you'll just be done with it, right? So day one, <laughs> I'm thinking that Cameron's going to be like, you know, I don't know, 80, 90% on getting the job done, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Uh, she was, like, over for the whole day. And... Uh, we were just like, Mallory and I, especially Mallory, because she's at home with her the whole day, but we're just like racking our brains like, man, I don't know what we can do. Like, we're offering her like treats, but we don't want to like manipulate her, and we're trying to teach her how to do this. And so in the back of my head, I'm thinking the, the next morning as we're trying to kind of go through the paces, get her on the toilet and all that, I'm thinking, man, it would be so, so much more efficient if we could just use a little bit of shame here just to let her know like, hey... Cameron, just so you know, it is shameful for you to go to the bathroom in your pants. Uh, I mean, it works for animals. Like, you guys have had dogs probably. You put their nose in in the house. So, I mean, why couldn't it work for humans? But uh, <laughs> anyways, so I feel terrible. Say, so I know we're laughing. I feel terrible because this is actually truly, like, we didn't talk about this. But in my heart, I was like, man, it would be so easy if I could just get her to feel a little bit of shame about this thing we're getting, trying to get her to stop doing. 
and I wouldn't explicitly want to do it. I don't want to shame her, but it's still like it's it's natural for me to gravitate towards that. In fact, I believe that that shame is the language that we're taught from birth, really. Uh, and so even in, in subtle ways, we use it as motivators, whether it's to get in shape or to try to potty train a kid or to get your kids to behave better. It's just a, a tool that's in our tool belt from, from the day that we're born. I mean, everybody around us, no offense, mom and dad, it wasn't, it wasn't just you guys teaching me <laughs> shame. It's everywhere. <laughs> but shame is not the language of the kingdom. Grace and mercy is the language of the kingdom. And even beyond the temptation to use shame as a motivator for Cam, I was kind of just considering why Mallory and I felt this pressure as she was approaching the age of two to potty train. You know, nobody else had given us some kind of deadline that we needed to have her potty trained by. It was just an internal, meaningless deadline, but for us it meant something, you know. She's really smart. We think she's really smart. We want everybody to know she's really smart. So we've got to make sure we get her potty trained. And so we felt a little bit of pressure and shame about that. And that's part of why we acted, we behaved the way that we did. Anyways, it didn't work out those first two days. And Mallory and I were just kind of like, this doesn't make sense. We feel like it's hurting our relationship with her. You know, we're spending like 90% of the time she's awake, like with her on the toilet crying. We're like, just go in the toilet. It's so easy. And then like the second she gets off the toilet going on the floor. You guys probably didn't think we were going to talk about this this morning. Well, I think this is more common than we realize. As I was going through this week, I mean, I thought of a few examples to start off, but then as I continued to meditate on it, I kept seeing different areas uh, where I would feel shame and try to use that as a motivator for myself to behave better, or even not trying in a mean way, but just the language that I use towards other people is kind of implying shame to them. Like, uh, I asked Mallory one day this week something along the lines of like, do you think you'd maybe like to get up a little earlier or something like that? And like, that was me doing like my best job of like being super nice and encouraging and uh, just totally turning the shame wheel. (laughs) Uh, I think that we do this though because we've baptized our shame. I mean, we live in a culture that really strives for efficiency and effectiveness. And, uh, you know, when we combine that culture with what it means to live a resurrection life, we look at these lists of things that we're supposed to not be doing, and, and it's a tall, it's a long list. It's a tall task for us to do, and so we just combine it together. We baptize our shame, and we try to use it for good. We kind of think that the ends, being a better person or behaving better, justifies the means, even if they're unholy means. Uh, we think that our shame can do good work, and so we're not intentionally doing this, but what we're really in effect doing is we're feeding on that shame and we're forming ourselves into that shame instead of feeding on God's mercy and his kindness. So as we consider what it means to live a resurrection life, there are these holiness passages in First Peter, right? These lists of things that we should and should not be doing, but that's not the qualification for living a resurrection life. Those are the markers of living a resurrection life. As you become a Christian, as you come and spend time in God's presence and feast on his love and his kindness and his mercy, then those things will flow out of your life. You don't have to strive to figure out how to perform better and make those things happen so that you can receive God's mercy. So our <laughs> living a holy life is a marker of a resurrection life. It's not how we earn a resurrection life. Just like the passage says, it says, come like newborn babies, right? Now, I just gave an example of 
considering shaming a two-year-old, so maybe not the best uh, use of this, but babies, when they're hungry, they just cry, and they're fed. You don't have to figure out a way to get them to feed. They know that they're going to get their nourishment and their sustenance from that milk. And so when they're hungry, they can just feel it in their stomach, and they cry out, and then their parent comes and they feed them, and they're nourished, and they grow stronger because of that. And that's the life that we're called into. That's how resurrection life works. And we can do that because we've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. As I was preparing for today, I just was considering that maybe some people have heard that passage a thousand times and they've thought, I don't really know if the Christianity that I've experienced is really working for me. I hear this and this sounds nice, like mentally I can assent to that, like, yes, the Lord is good, but I don't feel like I've tasted and seeing that the Lord is good. And, and if that's how you're feeling inside today, I think we've all been there at one point or another. I think we've all been searching for a life, a resurrection life that's true, where we're not just trying to modify our behavior. But that, that rich and beautiful life is there, and, and God is good. So if you feel like you've been searching and you haven't found it yet, don't give up hope. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. The text goes on to say that, Jesus, the cornerstone, was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. And he he likens us to us in that passage, just like Jesus. So I wanted just to mention here, kind of as an aside, you know, we we use our shame to behave properly and to, to try to be better Christians and to live into the life that we're called into. But at the same time, I think we all have this desire for recognition, not even just between ourselves and God, but among men. I mean, Specifically, I think the way it kind of manifests itself in church sometimes is leadership. We want to be known and valued by the leadership that we're under. And I think that, unfortunately, some of the, some of the times when people haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good is because they've been in leadership situations or they've been under leadership where they felt like they haven't been valued. Their gifts haven't been identified and valued. They think that they've been abused. And then the main, the crux of this passage this morning for me is that it says that God is building us into a spiritual house. As I was going through and reading a couple of commentaries, uh, one of them specifically said something along the lines of, um, they basically said, we're trying to get, get to a point that God can use us to build his church. So we're trying to figure out a way that we can live well enough that God can use us to build his church. And that sounds actually not that bad, but as I was considering it, that's almost the opposite of what this passage is saying. I mean, this passage isn't saying that God is waiting for us to be good enough or to act good enough so that he can use us to build his church. This passage is saying that he is building us into his church. So he's not waiting on you to get it right so that he can use you to build something. He's building you. We all have areas where we feel inadequate. Um, Most of us probably have a specific couple of areas where we kind of feel like we keep going back to this. Like, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years. Why do I keep struggling with this area? Why can I not get past this one thing? Like, sure, I'm behaving better in this way, uh, but why do I not feel like I'm becoming a more patient person? Why do I not feel, for me personally, patience is a big one, but also compassion is another big one. Like, I know that I should be compassionate, but there's a lot of situations where I hear something and it registers in my mind that I should feel compassionate about it, and I don't. And I've been a Christian since I was like five years old. 
And it's so frustrating to, to try to figure out a way to modify yourself and do the work of transforming yourself into that. I mean, sure, we can, we can, if we're really disciplined, we can figure out a way to modify our behavior. You know, we can behave in a more patient manner. But internally, you can still be very impatient while you're acting patient on the outside. Have you ever been tempted to tap into your shame as a way to motivate yourself to try harder, to pray harder, to work harder, to change or to grow in that area? Have you ever felt like a leader that you were under saw you more as a resource that they could use than as a person that they could invest in or or do life with? Have you ever felt like someone saw, they said that they saw potential in you so that they could get you to do something for them? We all have a deep desire for people to want to invest in our lives and to, to be a part of our lives, and we all have a fear of being exploited by other people. Maybe even worse than having your gifting exploited, exploited though, is when you feel like your gifting isn't even seen or acknowledged. You, you feel like God's gifted you with something. You feel passionate or excited about something, or you feel like you have talent in a certain area, but the people that you have around you, you don't feel like see that in you. We all have a deep desire to be truly known. God knows everything there is to know about you, and he still chose you. He knows that you're, what your potential is, but he isn't waiting on you to fulfill it. He's building you into a spiritual house. He's not waiting on your growth. He's an active part of your growth. You are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. And it's not because of anything you did or didn't do, but it's because he has called you out of darkness and into light. And it's because, that you, it's because you received his mercy instead of rejecting it. God is building us into his temple, into his people. This all sounds really great. But how? How do we live into this resurrection life? So I feel like I've heard sermons that have touched on this type of idea, right? Like, you don't have to try harder. Just basically what I hear people say, and this is not a quote. This is what I hear, even though it's probably not being said as, you don't have to try harder. Just be better. Just be. I'm like, that's not working. That wasn't working either. That's why I started trying to begin with. <laughs> I feel like I don't have, I hear this great message and I get really pumped up. And then by the end of it, I'm like, okay, just give me like one or two practices that I can take from here to maybe lean into this a little bit. Because I see this, in, this fruit in this person's life, but uh, I don't know how to not try, but actually still change to still move towards this. Uh, Ben actually retweeted a Twitter account that does a bunch of Thomas Merton quotes this week, and it perfectly lined up. So Thomas Merton was a, a, a Catholic theologian, and he said, how does an apple ripen? 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 Sorry. <laughs> how does an apple ripen? It, sits, it just sits in the sun. So how do we receive and feast on God's mercy? It's by spending time in his presence. Now, When I say spending time in his presence, I think we probably all think of a list of things that we have probably been doing and trying. But I don't necessarily mean praying, reading, memorizing scripture, going to Bible study, or singing worship songs. In fact, those those are all good things, but I believe that we need to actively practice sitting and being silent in God's presence. That's something that we're missing in our culture, is sitting and being silent and just being aware of God's presence around us. We usually don't have time for that. We don't make time to sit and be silent. So I'm much more comfortable memorizing scripture or going through a Bible study. 
leading a Bible study. I feel like I'm doing what, much more to build the kingdom if I'm doing those things. And that's why sitting in silence and just being aware of God's presence kind of takes a back seat for us sometimes. It probably seems impractical at first. We're talking about a practical way to step into this or lean into this, and we're talking about not doing anything, basically. But if you spend just a little bit of time each day just being conscious of the fact that God is with you, it will change the way you go through your day. It'll, it'll help you to adjust the way that you're engaging all aspects of your life. Um, if you're spending time just thinking about the fact that God's presence is around you and that you're God's son or daughter, then that person that, that bugs you at work and you really have a, a low level of tolerance for, that tolerance level kind of starts to creep up a little bit because when you're aware of God's presence around you and you're aware of who you are in God's presence, that starts to adjust and kind of shift your, your posture. At least I've seen that in my own life. When I'm aware of God's presence around me, I am more compassionate. I am more patient. When I am aware of God's presence around me, my compassion becomes less lacking. I'm actually more patient. It's not just me trying to behave more compassionately or me to act as if I'm more patient. I feel more at peace internally. I actually feel, instead of just feigning compassion, I actually feel in my heart compassion for someone. So back to the potty training. <laughs> uh, how is Cam actually going to become potty trained if we're not going to make her sit on the toilet all day until she only goes to the bathroom in the toilet? It's by spending time around mommy and daddy, being around other kids and family members that know how to use the toilet. It's gonna, she's going to figure it out. We don't have to rub her nose in it. She's going to see how things are done, and she's going to become more comfortable with it. Just an update for you guys. This week she did say during dinner like three nights ago, that she had to go to the bathroom, and we were like, eh, yeah, okay. We thought she maybe just wanted to get down, and we were like, well, maybe you can hold, hold it until after we're done. <laughs> we, we didn't have that much left, but uh, we are like, well, maybe hold it until after you're done. We're not going to interrupt dinner with the way things have been going. And uh, we did take her up <laughs> after dinner, and she went in the big girl potty. Uh, she hasn't gone since that night, but it's a step in the right direction. You know, She's figuring it out. <laughs> she's getting it. So this passage of Scripture, it ends with, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. And, and how? It says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this morning, I would like to take our, our time to respond as a community and as in individuals just to, to walk through kind of a practice of receiving God's mercy today. Um, we have a prayer in your guys' booklets. It has a, a little blank, and I'll start off and I'll pray a prayer for myself, just kind of fill in an area where I feel like I, I lean more into my shame as a motivator or as a tool, and where sometimes I am not open to receiving God's mercy. And so if you guys would, just uh, take some time to reflect with me, and then here in a second I'll pray, and feel free to pray after that. Holy Father, Thank you for your loving kindness. Instead of continuing to strive on my own, help me to receive your mercy in my lack of compassion and my impatience. Lord, in your mercy.